The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Podcast weekend preview. After the European action, it is time to get stuck back in to the Premier League. It's match day six. I'm Adam Leventhal here at the Athletic HQ in London, as we are every Friday. And it is a special edition this week with a big old focus on the big old grudge match that is the North London derby. And packed into the studio is a four-man wall of talent from the Athletic flying both the the white and the red flags ahead of this fixture both halves of north london and um, let's start with the with the red corner we have our arsenal reporter and pod debutante jordan campbell here how are you jordan yeah i'm good excited to make my my bow yeah, yeah, it's good to have you on board. Um, we have our Brentford reporter, Jay Harris. Jay, you wanted to say a few words. You insisted on being on the podcast this week to to let us know something. No, you insisted that <laughs> I say that I, I might be secretly an Arsenal fan. It's great to have you, Jay. Do, do you feel like you've got a weight off your shoulders now? Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Look at the relief. <laughs> the, re- the reluctance, the reluctance is, uh, is fantastic. Uh, and then in the white corner, we have our Tottenham correspondent, show regular, show you know, uh, almost just like a mainstay now. Yep, go on, yeah. Is, yep. is, is Tim Spears. Tim, how are you? Yeah, good. Did last week's show not go very well? Because you got rid of Nick and then you've, <laughs> you've brought in help for me as well. It's like, well, you know. I, I, I wouldn't want to say that about, about Nick. Um, Tim, it's great to have you here. Um, and can we have a drum roll, please? Fantastic. Because we have the Athletics Editor-in-Chief, Alex K. Jelski, who is a Tottenham fan and he is making his first appearance. How are you, Alex? I'm all right. I think I'm going to hold a meeting on the drum roll afterwards. Not very, <laughs> yeah, ha- not not very happy that. about that. Not no. enough enthusiasm. No, not at all. Needed to be a little bit louder, a little bit quicker, a little bit more meaningful. Excellent. I like that. Straight into boss mode. Uh, yeah, for people who aren't, I mean, it's, it, you know, when you hear a title like that, editor-in-chief, just, just enlighten people because it's always, it's always good to just learn a little bit more about behind the scenes at The Athletic. What does editor-in-chief actually mean? That's a great question. Uh, I guess it means I oversee what we put out into the world, like what we write, what we put out as podcasts, video to a degree, trying to work out what good ideas are, what stories should we be putting out there? Are we doing things the right way? Are we being sensible? Are we being fair? Are we doing enough things that are fun versus things that are serious? Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Trying to like pretend that I like the people who work for yeah. me, mm-hmm. try to keep their morale up. Um, yeah, and then generally just annoying the Tottenham writers after I go to a game at the weekend by telling them things to write and they try and like squirm out of it because they don't understand football properly. Yeah, gotcha. Right, brilliant. That's all true, by the way. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, you have to you have to deal with that because you are covering a lot of uh, a lot of Tottenham, aren't you? Tim? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> right, we're gonna we're gonna pull apart the North London derby today, as we said. Um, but aside from that, it is um, this is fixture formation time zero five five zero. Um, set up this weekend Saturday and Sunday as we know stacked with fixtures no Friday night football uh, three games kicking off at three o'clock on Saturday why have we got any, why have we not got an early kickoff this week anyone know 
is it because Man United Burnley is supposed to be 12.30, but because they played away last night, it got pushed to 8 o'clock on Saturday? I think you might be onto something there. There you go. Quick run through of the games, and we will stick a flag in, in a few of them later, but we are going to be focusing mainly on the North London derby. On Saturday, uh, it's more of a mid-table London derby with ninth against 10th, Palace against Fulham, then a proper relegation scrap. Two teams that are going to be in the mire Don't all do this. season. Don't do this. Stop it, what? honestly. What? I, know, just... I know what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> so that's Luton, 20th, no points, up against Lowly Wolves, there uh, it is. That's the punchline, everybody. <laughs> That's the punchline. Um, is it going to be six wins out of six, or is it going to be another away shot? Manchester City against Forest. Those three games on Saturday, three o'clock, five thirty, as we mentioned. Brentford against Everton, and then eight o'clock, as we mentioned, as Jay stuck a massive flag in and did very well there. Uh, winless Burnley up against Man United. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. And then on Sunday, big impact because of the Euro- European fixtures. Four two o'clock kickoffs. We've got the North London derby. We've got Chelsea against Villa. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. And Liverpool against West Ham, third against sixth. Brighton against Bournemouth as well. And then 4.30, Sheffield United against Newcastle. So let's now focus on the first North London derby of the season at the Emirates. And I just wanted to just gauge your your feeling on it. One of the producers at The Athletic, he's an Arsenal fan, and he goes to extremes to avoid anything that's associated with Tottenham any sponsors any brands anything like that is that something for I mean for the two fans in the room I mean maybe I mean you know Tim you can talk about you know you don't I don't know what would you not do to do with West Brom Uh, is there anything that you might not do so the old uh, the old Tesco style carrier bags were like blue and white stripes like a block of blue and white stripes (laughs) so I I was like one of the forerunners of taking your own bag to the supermarket because I just refused to use a Tesco carrier bag. Are you serious? Yeah, deadly serious. Yeah. Wowzers. Okay. That is weird. Because you carry around with it after, with a blue and white striped bag. I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, good. Well, get off your but does, does, it, does it go to extremes like that for you, Alex? Is there anything that you see that, that's Arsenal, you know, I don't know, Nike or whatever that you just sort of steer clear of because it's associated with Arsenal? No, t- Tim's just making me feel really normal. I I also think this job does that to you. Yeah. So I remember being a kid and there was a particular North London derby. I think Spurs won 2-1 and Arsenal had two players sent off, Lundberg and Keown. And I remember Keown walking off and me just like screaming at him, words that I probably wouldn't say on this podcast. And then later on in my job, I worked really closely with Martin and he's just like a really nice guy. And I, I think when you're exposed to working on stories around both clubs or with people, you just realise, like, I don't know, it does take some of the intensity away. And I'm actually, I'm annoyed at how nervous I feel. I said this yesterday, all of a sudden, about three o'clock, I was like, oh God, I've started to feel nervous for the game, which is so stupid. But yeah, here it is. But no, I, I do own, I don't even know who sponsors Arsenal. Adidas, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd happily wear Adidas. I've even been to the Emirates. Not supporting Arsenal there. No, no, I'm not mad. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, Jay, you're in white. You're, 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 you're sort of easy. You, you, you don't really care. Uh, I think when I was a little bit younger, um, I wouldn't put like Kane in my FPL team or on my like FIFA team. But um, I'm two years older now, so I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> now, Spurs haven't won at Arsenal in the league since November 2010. Great comeback victory 2-0 down 3-2 up scorer of the winner was Kabul Kabul did you know that or did you look it up like I did do I know that we've won there once ever how can I not know that it's not this like how many different things do I have to remember one 
Is he is he a cult hero? Would he would would he because of that moment or not? Nah, I don't think so. No, not good enough to be. A I cult mean, hero. maybe some people, but we we've been mediocre enough for long enough time to have enough other cult heroes. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was one other EFL Cup win for Tottenham, twenty eighteen at the Emirates. But overall, the derby record for Tottenham at Arsenal is really poor. Only one win out of thirty in the Premier League. But this is twenty twenty three. This is Spurs in second against Arsenal in fourth. And this is Ange Ball. And this surely now is the season, Alex, where it happens, where you go to the Emirates and Tottenham win. I mean, my version of your question is it's the first time that Spurs are going to Arsenal when they've been uh, genuine title contenders for a long time. Uh, they've just won 4-0 on Wednesday night in the Champions League. And it's going to be bloody difficult, isn't it? Um, like there's a, there's a great feeling around Spurs at the moment because they're playing some happy football. Um, I think it'll be entertaining. I have zero expectations. It feels like a bit of a free hit. They've got a really good record at home to Arsenal in the last sort of eight, nine years. I, I many years ago stopped thinking that we'd ever get a result there, honestly. Um, I think Arsenal fans might, I don't know, they can tell me better. Jay, you can tell me better. Might feel a bit differently because I felt like the derby had just become year after year. When is Harry Kane going to score his penalty? And then what happens around it? Like It's quite weird going into a derby not knowing that Harry Kane's going to score a penalty. I was just saying, I remember I started covering the club a year ago and Spurs had finished above Arsenal for the previous six seasons and then went to cover the derby. Yeah, it was October the 1st last year. And there was only one point between the teams at the time. I think Arsenal were top, Spurs were third. So it's pretty similar to how it is now. And speaking to Arsenal Spurs fans before the game for a piece on the derby. And the, despite those sort of, you know, Spurs being on top in the league for the previous years and, and, and that season pretty even, it was so one way. The cockiness amongst the Arsenal fans, pre-match this was, was, was unbe- unbelievable. They were just assuming that they were going to win. And the Spurs fans, just this in- inherent sort of, no, there's no way we're gonna we're gonna win at Arsenal. There's a bit of like an inferiority complex, which is which goes back many many years. So five good results this season not gonna not gonna change that ahead of the game. Um, and in terms of inferiority, Alex, do you feel do you have that complex? I mean, Arsenal have won multiple Premier League titles and FA Cups and whatever. Like they they're a they're a bigger team. They're a more successful team. In a, I don't understand how you could be born into the world and choose to support them. Like, I find it really weird. Like, if, like if you were given a choice in life, like I don't understand why you'd ever choose to support Arsenal. I find, like it genuinely like boggles my mind. Really? Yeah, because like ugh, it's just horrible, isn't it? But <laughs> but equally, like I can I do have an inferior inferiority complex because I've barely seen my team win a trophy in the whole of my life, and I'm really getting on a bit. Not as old as you, but mm. you know. Thank you. Am I the oldest? In, I think I am the oldest in the room. You're the I... oldest in the company. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just park Spurs for a moment and let's get stuck into um, to Arsenal. You've been watching them all season so far, Jordan. And, you know, as, as Jay mentioned there, the front three of, you know, firings all on the score sheet against um, PSV. Declan Rice has been imperious. They've been innovating. They've kept their best players, which we'll touch upon a little bit later on. There is that sort of grey area at the moment on the on the keeper debate, which we'll talk about as well. But do you feel now that they've just sort of they've clicked after a few sort of 
a few wobbles earlier on, albeit they haven't, they haven't lost the game and they've won four out of five. Do you feel that they're just sort of they're just sort of getting into their stride? Yeah, and I think that's just natural when you bring somebody like Rice in. You you bring three or four players through the spine of the team. It's going to take a bit of time to get that fluency back. But the PSV game was by far the best performance of the season so far. Um, I guess you don't want to read too much into that because they've been up against uh, Forest, they've been up against Palace, up against Everton, who was sort of backs to the wall for a full 90 minutes. And PSV came and just wanted to play, which suited them perfectly. But I actually think Tottenham will probably be the closest game to PSV because Postacoglu just is going to play the same way. Did that at, at Celtic when he came up against Rangers in his first derby. He doesn't really dilute his ideas. Um, so I think it will sort of play into... Arsenal's hands, but there's definitely a sense that you know Jesus back um, hit the ground running again during the week. Um, him, Havertz, and, and Trossard playing together for the first time this season. There's a lot of things just clicking, and and Rice now the last few weeks has just looked like he's been there <laughs> his whole life. So um, yeah, I think for Arsenal they go into it very confident, and I suppose the two teams are are both confident. But Postecoglou has got five five or six players at the 25 man squad. Who are his players? Arteta's now got seventeen, yeah, and five youth graduates. So, Bar El Nene, Saliba, and Martinelli, who might not even make it if if he's not fit, is basically his team. He's handpicked over four years, so at a very different stage of the cycle now. They should be the end product here, and they should be beating Spurs at home if they want to go and, and challenge City. Just a quick word on on corners. They've been innovating. Just explain for people who haven't been watching every corner in a sort of athletic, athletic way. Far too many corners. What have they been up to? What, what, should, yeah. what should fans be looking out for? Well, I guess it's interesting because at Everton, they just went completely different to what they've done the last few years. And it was uh, eight short corners out of 11, I think. Um, five five very different short corner routines, which were actually quite convoluted. I was <laughs> impressed that there were so many players involved that they could actually remember the different stages because it wasn't just one or two passes. The goal, for example, was six passes. So um, I think you'll see a lot. I don't know if they'll do the same with, with Spurs because they're probably fans of their bigger players to have a go. Whereas with Everton, I think they conceded that they're a big team. Let's try and pull them out a different way. So... Um, yeah, early in the season, I think they had zero shot corners against Man U, zero against Forest, zero against uh, Palace as well. So, uh, yeah, it was it was for that specific game. But yeah, we've seen Rice score against Man United, and they've done the same routine again against Everton. So I think the back post is probably an area to watch. But maybe they'll try one of those um, shot corners again because there was probably three at the five shot corners, which were a yard or so away for being another goal. So um, yeah, they looked really really threatening. Okay, yeah. Look out for uh, look out for those. You'd hope that Spurs have been doing this, well, the level of research watching, yeah, that, well, you, that you have been doing. They can hire me. <laughs> um, a word about keeping their keeping their best players, and, and the news broke on Friday morning um, that Martin Odegaard has agreed a new deal. We'll just take a quick breather from uh, our guests in the studio and check in with the Athletics football correspondent David Ornstein for some more. Well, the headline news is that Arsenal have confirmed and announced that Martin Odegaard has signed a new contract. This was actually a contract that I understand to have been signed some weeks ago at the beginning of September, prior to Arsenal's match against Manchester United that they won before going on the international break. But Arsenal successfully kept it under wraps, following a really smooth and relatively quick process 
Talks got going, to my knowledge, around May time, and there were no real hurdles. Arsenal wanted to reward a player that they signed permanently from Real Madrid in 2021 for €35 million Euros plus add-ons, following a productive loan spell in the half-season prior to that. Uh, he's gone from strength to strength. In the summer of 2022, he was appointed as captain by Mikel Arteta, and he has led by example. Uh, his goals, his assists and his all-round performances as well as the personality, the character that he brings to the dressing room and the squad. Now, this contract will span five years until 2028. There is no option to extend it, um, but that is a long contract in itself. And uh, I'm sure if Arsenal get further into that and Odegaard is still doing what he's doing at the moment, then uh, all parties may be satisfied to um, talk about renewing even further, but that's not a conversation for today. The reason this process was so cordial was because every side involved in it had the same intention and desire, and that was to prolong his stay at the Emirates Stadium. There was interest from other clubs, uh, but no talks took place because the focus was clear and everybody was on the same page. As far as I know, he will become the new highest paid player at Arsenal. He was into the final 24 months of his existing deal, which expired in the summer of 2025. Um, but this now takes him much further. Now, yet more credit must go to Arteta as manager, who is cultivating this squad, environment, atmosphere, uh, making Arsenal a place where players want to join. And also when they are there, they want to stay. Then Edu as technical director, Richard Garlick, who is in charge of negotiations and contracts, Tim Lewis, who is playing an increasingly influential role on the board now uh, on behalf of the ownership, KSE, Cronky Sports Entertainment. And interestingly, I'm told that a driving force in this negotiation with Odegaard was actually Josh Kroenke, the director, the son of ultimately the owner, Stan Kroenke. Um, and he was clearly determined to renew Odegaard. And it shows that everybody is aligned and playing massively important roles in building and maintaining a squad that they hope will be competitive, not just for the immediate term, but into the long-term future. Let's focus now back on Tottenham. And Tim, you were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for that amazing end to the game against Sheffield United. I, I look back at your Twitter uh, at the time, or X as it's known now. The place has gone absolutely berserk. Well, Alan Partridge. You said, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you said on your Twitter due to the atmosphere, due to that late that late, um, late show. Just tell us about the, the atmosphere, first of all. How, how good was it? I was going to do a Partridge impression then, but I think I'll just leave that to you, clearly. Um, go ahead, go on, do one. No, no, it's fine, you've done it. I'm not going to do better than that. All right, fine, fine. Uh, it, No, it was amazing. One of my pet hates in football is the celebration police. Um, but... And I, there were some like snooty comments saying it's only Sheffield United, but I don't know. I, well, there hasn't been a match like it in the Premier League in terms of a comeback that late. So it was it was remarkable. The, yeah, the place went absolutely berserk. 
the Richarlison narrative obviously sort of added to that. Plus Sheffield United's time wasting, which led to 12 minutes added on. And obviously everyone was very angry about that. Um, so yeah, it's incredible and sort of epitomises where they're at right now. This You can feel it. I remember speaking to Alex after the whistle. You can feel it in the stadium. It won't come across on, on TV or maybe if you're not a Spurs fan, but the whole place in three months is like completely transformed you know when they when they lost to Brentford in last season and they did this lap of dishonour <laughs> and um, you know people weren't even angry they were just silent they were just like so despondent they were so done so for one man to change so much is amazing it also means it, there's there's not a huge amount of real substance this year it's just, just a few wins and a good manager you know there's a lot that needs to change at the club still in my opinion but they're in a great place. Um, there's a fearlessness and a belief, probably similar to where Arsenal were a year ago, to be honest. Um, and if they do beat Arsenal this weekend, then people will start getting carried away. But at the moment, I think I feel like Spurs fans are very just like in the moment. They're not like, oh, we're going to win the league, we're going to get the Champions League, this is all amazing. They're, just, they're so glad as they sing in the stands to have their Tottenham back that they're just really enjoying what's happening right now. Alex, in terms of the the atmosphere and the fact that they were able to come back and you know Angie's there and it's all shiny and and happy what, what does what does it tell you about their chances and and the potential of this side to be able to have done something like that when i speak to spurs fans whether it's my dad or my mates they all say the same thing like even if we lose the game it's nice that we that we're playing nice football and having a go and <laughs> I know people can be quite cynical about that because football's about winning and, you know, certain teams, maybe the bigger team you are, the more uh, important it is to have trophies at the end of it. But after what Tottenham fans have sat through with Conte and Nuno and Mourinho, it was, it was just dreadful. Like, you just stopped wanting to go. Mm. And it's just fun again. It's all, it's, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. And, yeah, maybe they'll lose on Sunday. Maybe they'll then lose to Liverpool the week after. Maybe they'll finish sixth this season. But they'll finish sixth, scoring some good goals, having a go. When you watch someone like Ipasuma, who basically Antonio Conte wanted nothing to do with when he was fit and was pretty rude about in public, and you watch him now absolutely dominating games. And again, let's see whether he can dominate away at Arsenal. It's slightly different from playing against you know smaller teams like Sheffield United or struggling Manchester United. When you see that transformation, you can't help but buy into it, I think. Um, and that I think that goes back to why I'm feeling nervous again, is because it's the blimmin' hope, isn't it? it just, mm. no, I don't really think they're going to win, but I think they're going to make it exciting. I, th I don't think they're going to get completely outdone 3-0, 4-0. I just think they'll play some good football, have a go. Yeah, totally. I would say this is the perfect sort of contrast with a year ago when Spurs went to the Emirates and they like they cowered for half an hour they sat in front of their penalty area and tried to tried to defend and even well they had this weird thing where they didn't even try and score in first halves last year it's like a genuine tactic which feels bonkers now listening back thinking back um and then yeah they were 3-1 down and like, like Alex is saying they might lose 3-1 this weekend but when they were 3-1 three, three down at the Emirates last year with 15 minutes to go they took off Son, Richarlison and Perisic and replaced them with Sessegnon and Doherty and Basuma who was very much a reserve at the time and I've never seen anything like that in a big game, in a derby game. Conte literally waved the white flag and said, 15 minutes left, 
two goals behind. We're done here. We're going to take up our best players. <laughs> it's insane. And you can guarantee that won't happen this weekend. And you can guarantee they won't cower for the first half an hour and try and defend. So that's, yeah, that's why there's so much more sort of hope and belief, whatever and, the result. And the other thing, if you'd have said to any Spurs fan in the last few years, what will life look like after Harry Kane? And I think a lot of people would have said, well, take Kane out of Spurs and whatever. It is so surreal that this sort of optimism is happening at the same time as playing without him. It, it just just sort of feels not... I don't know, I can't really express the words. I was going to say like it's a bit like a weird soap opera script or something. It just doesn't make any sense. You've taken the, the best player out of the team and the team are playing better. Now, that's not because Harry Kane was a problem. It just shows you how problematic the previous managers were. Do you not think it, like Kane actually leaving, though, made it a... Like, it, expectations dropped even lower for Tottenham and it made it a bit easier for Ange to come in and just implement his new style without the pressure of still having Harry Kane. Maybe, but I still think the team, I imagine, would be better with him in it because all, all teams are. Yeah, there is this whole thing of like, has it turned Romero and Son into more of a leader and it means that James Madison's got the number 10 shirt and blah, blah, blah. Well, let's talk Let's talk about that because it's, it's interesting. I don't want to reference another uh, TV show that, a lot of people probably don't know who, what I'm talking about. I've already done what Countdown and Alan Partridge, but does anyone watch The Repair Shop? Yeah, you've lost no. us there. Does anyone watch The Repair Shop? <laughs> never heard no. of it. No, you've never heard of no, it. No, no, no. Right, so basically... Yeah, yeah. you sure you're not I'd... the oldest employee? <laughs> <laughs> basically, I think, it, I think it actually does have some sort of hipster following, actually. Basically, it, there is a point to it because they take old things... That aren't working, they go into <laughs> That's a. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They take old furniture and things like that into a shop, repair them, reupholster them, and then make them into something shiny and happy. And it brings happiness to people. And that it seems you mentioned Eve Basuma, uh, you know, a couple of moments ago, Alex. You've mentioned Basuma as well as a good example. Who would you say is the is the most successfully reupholstered Tottenham player? <laughs> That they have in their in their squad. It's a long way round, but I've got there in the end. Yeah, Basuma. Like, 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 it's just like, Basuma. We, like we both already said. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I'm sorry, but. but it's not just Basuma, is it? Well, there are there are idea. other players. It's just Basuma. Uh, Romero would would be one. So he was he was king of the fouls last year. Like like averaged a foul or two a game. Like nine, ten bookings, couple of red cards. He's only given away one foul. Didn't Char- Charlie Eccleshare is- did a piece? Uh, in the last few days about him being the sort of new chilled out version right yeah so so he's matured i mean they've been given the the opposite of conte who who took it all on himself and 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 would plan tactics you know by the letter they've been given freedom here and a lot of them have embraced it and and the lack of cane thing is interesting i i i personally think you can see more freedom among certain players um certainly son i think obviously yeah as alex says cane wasn't the problem but they would naturally, maybe in a way that Man United did with Ronaldo before he left, but not in a give me the ball, you must give me the ball, I must score kind of thing. They would naturally just look to Kane as their leader because he wasn't just a goal scorer, he was the creator, so he he did everything. So without without him, others have been freed up for sure. I also think the thing that gets overlooked is how different the team is, so they don't really have that problem a lot. If you look at the team that lost at the Emirates last year, I think only two of that 11 will probably start the weekend three if Richarlison plays um, so a lot of them don't have that 
baggage. Like those players have either been moved on or are out of favour, and the people who are performing well, like Saar, like Udogi, like Van der Ven, Vicario, they just, they just didn't exist <laughs> a few weeks ago. And so that's that's the other quite remarkable thing about starting well is he's gelling a bunch of players together who have no right to be gelling at this stage. Maybe they'll get found out, but, you know. One of the other stories um, associated with Spurs this week has been, I mean, obviously it is, it is to do with Harry Kane, but Daniel Levy speaking at a fan event where he said that there is a buyback clause or, you know, first option clause ultimately. Um, how do you think the the Spurs fans at the moment feel about the ownership? Because I, I suppose on another day... Daniel Levy might have said something in one of those meetings and people there might have been a pile on because things weren't going to plan at Spurs. But it, it feels a lot different at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, t- the timing worked out pretty well for him because <laughs> the feeling around the, co- the club is, is good. I would argue that he gets far too much criticism for the things that aren't his fault, as in he actually genuinely manages the club pretty well. Look at the stadium, look at the training ground, look at the fact they were a dreadful mid-table team year after year and now they're in the conversation of European places most seasons and that actually doesn't deserve credit for maybe the thing that he's getting credit for now which is Postacoglu because Postacoglu wasn't his first choice anyway (laughs) (laughs) I just I just think people get a bit too extreme in either way I think he's made some generally some quite questionable manager managerial choices but a lot of the other stuff he's actually done very well but it's it's such a divisive subject it's um Whatever you say, you're told you're wrong. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Now, look, the, I wanted to just sort of get a quick roundtable sort of blast from all of you on these on these questions. OK, we'll have to be quite quick fire. Um you get some choices here. So Arteta or Ange, who would you rather play for? Tim? Uh, Ange, I think. Ange? Yeah. Alex? Yeah, Ange. Ange. More fun. Arteta. Arteta. Is it, is it going to be... Is it gonna be I mean, I'll have to say Arteta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I suppose Arteta, you do. Yeah. yeah, we haven't got into your club leanings, have we? No, but um, Arteta, former Rangers... Ange, former Celtic, it sort of writes yeah. itself. Yeah, so, job done on that yeah. one. Um, what current player from an opposite from the opposition side would each team want in their side? Obviously, this is a bit sort of Sol Campbell esque, but is there a player in that Arsenal side, Tim, that Tottenham would love to have? Or I mean, there's probably quite a few, is there? Yeah, Saka is quite a decent level above Kulisevsky at the moment. Saka, Alex. Odegaard. Odegaard's my favourite Arsenal player, but he's probably not what they need. 
Saka's the oh, Saka's the right answer, isn't it? Um, who plays right back for Arsenal? They don't really have one. Do Wayne they? White or Nah, Nah. Okay, no, you're right. It's Saka, even though Odegaard's the best player. Saka. Okay, so vice versa. Tottenham uh, player in that Arsenal side. Yeah, I mean, I like Madison a lot, but I don't think he's he's needed when you have got Odegaard there. Same with Basuma. Maybe just Son because he is just uh, when he's on top form, it's just a guarantee of goals. Jordan, I would probably go with Madison because I think in the midfield they don't really have a natural sort of player who just goes everywhere and can dribble with Odegaard's money a passer so I would probably go Madison for that reason Okay and the last one before I get your predictions I'm going to just ask the the two fans your least favourite North London derby memory Alex Emirates in with the Arsenal fans (laughs) I think we lost 3-0 I just I just promised myself on that day I will never do that again. Yeah, why, I mean, why the hell did you do that? Someone offered me a ticket. I think I was feeling quite optimistic about us winning. Oh. And I just thought, oh, this could be, this could be the thing. I wanted to go and see what a solar stadium was like. <laughs> joking, joking. <laughs> um, yeah, just terrible. Would you have celebrated if you'd scored? Um, no, not that crazy. <laughs> About as much as you'd have celebrated if you were doing yeah. the same at Parkhead. <laughs> oh, you might be braver than me, that was it. Jay? Um, easy. May 2022, Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0, Champions League over and done with. And um, actually watched it in a pub in Shoreditch because I was going out for my birthday. Oh. Um, and let's just say it killed the first two hours of hip-hop karaoke. Oh. What did you think? Uh, swimming pools by Kendrick Lamar. Do you know it? I think I've seen it on the repair shop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Oh, I've really made my bed this evening. <laughs> okay, um, final final question. Predictions, Tim. Uh, I think a bit of a two-two goals for sure. Two-two, Alex. Two-one Arsenal. Three-two Arsenal. Three-one Arsenal. Fantastic, brilliant. Thank you very much to all of you on this North London derby focus. Uh, Alex, you're going to leave us now, aren't you? You've got you've got proper grown-up work yeah, I've got, like, to do. Yeah, I've got actual work to do. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Okay. But thank but, you for having me. No, it's been great to have you on. Thank you very much indeed. Right, so Alex has gone, has been replaced by uh, Thomas Hill Lopez Menchero, who has uh, made a welcome return to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking to you about uh, the Madrid derby uh, in a few moments' time. I just wanted to check in with you. Have you seen The Repair Shop? Do you watch The Repair Shop? Uh, my uh, mum does. Your mum watches The Repair Shop. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah. Okay, here we go. Um, let's talk about some of the other games. I just wanted to, because these are the ones that really stick out. I know Liverpool-West Ham is is a big game. We know that you know there's a lot riding on that fixture, but I wanted to talk about Burnley against Manchester United. <sighs> I mean, for Man United fans at the moment, Going into that game, it's bizarre that they're thinking, "Oh, we've, you know, we've really got to try and get a win in this game." It, it doesn't necessarily look like it's it's preordained that they will, though, will it? No, I watched the um, game against Bayern Munich last night, and if anybody hadn't watched the full ninety minutes and just saw the highlights and saw four three, they'd probably come away with the completely wrong impression of that game because Man United, apart from the first twenty minutes, were pretty. Maybe not abysmal, but they weren't great. And I think Bayern never really got out of second gear. Um, And it's almost comical that both times United scored, or the first couple of times United scored, Bayern then scored immediately afterwards. It's almost like a little bit like a a playground bully. Do you know what I mean? The second you got got close to them, 
the second you landed a hit on them, they kind of just pushed you back over. Um, lots of issues there. Obviously, Facundo Pelestri, it's not his fault, but really inexperienced player who's coming in on the right wing and he barely got a look in. You know, fair play that Hoyland scored his first goal against Bayern, so that's something to, to be excited about. But, you know, just when Andre Nana needs a break because people are, you know, kind of mocking his goal, goalkeeping ability at the moment and saying he's all feet and no hands, he lets in another really, really soft goal. So, so many issues and yeah, in on paper they should beat Burnley but you know imagine Vincent Company, former Manchester City player Manchester City legend getting one over on them you know <laughs> the spiral would just continue Let's talk about Chelsea against Aston Villa I mean it, Chelsea as well uh, just aside that yes I guess they've got they've got more things to maybe look forward to because they've got a young squad they're trying to build something but is building something enough for, for Chelsea? Well I mean I think they've actually been quite quite unlucky you know it's difficult to say that because at the end of the day it's results that count but you know for watching a few of the games this year they do look a much more structured more organised team under under Pochettino but yeah the the finishing is just woeful I mean last season he thought it couldn't get any worse the conversion rate's been just as bad if not worse again so I think they've maybe you know the, the talk around them is a bit more negative than maybe the performances have actually merited but you know, if you want to come up against a team, I don't think Villa is a great team for them to come up against right now. Um, you know, Emery's got them playing really well, um, and I think they can they can sit back, soak up pressure, and I think they'll they'll, they'll hit Chelsea on the break. So I don't think it's a it's a nice game for 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 Chelsea to be playing because Villa have got that sort of free hit still about them. You know, they're, they're sitting seventh in the league. Them in Brighton, a sort of that organised team that can punch above the weight and any of the top six games are essentially a no, no pressure game for them so yeah I think there's a lot riding on this this game because if, if Chelsea lose again then very quickly the sort of oh it's okay we're, we're creating stuff that, that goes out the window because they're looking at the bottom of the table so the pressure's massively on for both of them I mean it's, it's, it's page one of how not to put together a football team or run a football club these two clubs spent like a billion pounds over like so many years, Chelsea top spenders in the summer, Man United third, and Man United already nine points off first. It's a, there's only five game five games in. It's just insane, absolutely I mean, insane. The pressure is just say, piling up. You say it's like two collections of players, and then you look at even Burnley, for example. The the criticism of them is maybe they're being a bit too idealistic. They're getting themselves into trouble. But you know, look at how Brighton completely outplayed Man United. There's an idea there at least. Whereas Pochettino still trying to form the idea. For basically arrived there. Bunch of players. He's like, how does this work together? So, I think that's the difference. Is that Villa have recruited specifically for positions. Burnley are doing the same thing and maybe adjusting to life in the Premier League. Whereas you look at Chelsea and Man U and you think it's just a game of like football managers trying to make it up as you you're going along. So, um, yeah, I think two sort of similar games in that respect. Well, just quickly, our colleague Mark Critchley wrote about the the Man United Bayern Munich game and he kind of picked out Man United's midfield, Casemiro and Eriksen who both joined the club last summer. Their midfield needed a revamp. I think they passed on Aurelien Tuameni last summer, who's you know 22 years old, moved to Real Madrid, obviously spent a lot of money on Casemiro. And Mark's point was, Casemiro looks like he's you know running on empty at the moment. You know, I think he's 30, 31 years old, defensive midfielder. Can't do it all by himself. Same with Ericsson, who's, I think he's 31 now as well. So you spent loads of money on, I know Ericsson was on a free, but obviously his wages would have been quite high. Spent loads of money in terms of wages and on transfer fees for these two midfielders 
who are only going to be around at the top level for two, three years max. Whereas really, Man United, that was the opportunity for them, especially with Ten Hag coming in to say, right, we're going to trust the process. We're going to sign a 22, 23, 24-year-old defensive mid and go from there. You mentioned Real Madrid there. Um, Thomas is in the in the studio to just sort of run the rule over another big derby this weekend. We've spoken about the North London derby. It's the first Madrid derby of the season. Um, just give us a, a preview of the game because, I mean, we, we know that one player in particular is the sort of the star of the show for Real Madrid, but this is a massive, massive fixture, isn't it? Yeah, it's the first big um, test of the season for Real Madrid, really, because they've had this perfect record in La Liga, five wins from five, um, but largely been sustained by, as you say, Jude Bellingham's brilliance and trademark Real Madrid comebacks. They've got a big test here in Atletico, who have looked good at times this season. They won 7-0 against Rayo Vallecano, which was their their biggest away win in La Liga. But then last last weekend, they were embarrassed 3-0 by Valencia, conceded a 95th minute equaliser against a goalkeeper in midweek. So fair to say that the early optimism has kind of been tempered for Diego Simeone's side. That was brilliant, though. In the uh... was a good moment. Great header. Oh, fantastic. You can read all about... What's, it, what's the man's name? Ivan Providel. That's the one, yeah. James Horncastle's great, great piece on on him. Basically, he was a, he was a striker when he was a kid, and then you just saw him score like a striker and celebrate like I don't know, like almost like Zlatan yeah. or something. <laughs> just straight <laughs> faced. It was yeah. it was fantastic. Thomas, short and sharp, but thank you very much for coming in. Um, is there any other games that anyone wanted to stick a flag in? Any sort of any teams desperate for three points this weekend? Against a lowly side that might want to get on <laughs> get on track. Uh, this... So we're done here. We're, yeah. yeah, we're all finished. We're all finished. Yeah, good luck to Wolves. Uh, good luck. I, I'm on your side. I'm on don't, your side this week. I am. Me. I'm not patronising you. Wolves are playing at Luton, and I hope you win. The, the repair shop's on in five minutes. Yeah, so <laughs> right, yeah. yeah we better go. Um, thank you very much indeed to Alex, who was on earlier on, Thomas for for coming in, to Jay and to Jordan. Tim as well. Um, <laughs> Ayak and Waleri is going to be back on Monday. I will be back with a, another panel. Hopefully Nick Miller will be back sat opposite me where Tim is. Um, Keep them coming. <laughs> Just wants to get one more in. <laughs> Final dig. Uh, your producer today was John Rogers. Thank you very much to him and to our executive producer, Adam Jones. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. You can sign up right now for our best ever price of £1 or a dollar a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Don't forget full coverage of the Premier League, of La Liga, of the Bundesliga, of uh, Ligue 1 as well. Paris Saint-Germain, big focus there. It's all covered on The Athletic. We'll see you next week. Thanks very much for listening. The Athletic.